Welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. My prayer is that this word encourages, edifies, and strengthens you to experience the life and power of Jesus Christ in a brand new way. Thanks for tuning in. All right, turn to Job chapter 38. And before we start reading, so the Lord actually um, put on my heart several months ago to begin a podcast. And I don't really... um, I love other people doing that stuff, but I don't like doing that stuff. And so I knew it was the Lord because I felt it wasn't, I know that this isn't something that I would come up on my own. And if I uh, did come up with it on my own, then I would find an excuse to get out of it somehow. Uh, But I really feel this unction of the Lord uh, to start this podcast. And so tonight is episode one. Is that okay? And so uh, we're gonna record the podcast on Wednesday nights. And then also uh, through the week, I'll be hopefully being able to interview some people and we'll do some like 30 minute segments. But the Lord just dropped this title or this name of the podcast into my spirit driving um, a few weeks ago and it, well, a few months ago now. And um, before he even told me to do the podcast, he just dropped the words of the sanctuary. So I'm like, okay. And so I couldn't get this out. And then he's like, I want you to start a podcast and call it the sanctuary. So that's what we're gonna call it. So tonight is episode one of The Sanctuary. And, and he referenced, or he told me that, and I referenced Ezekiel 44, 16, where it says, they shall enter my sanctuary, speaking of the sons of Zadok, and they shall come near my table to minister to me, and they shall keep my charge. What I love about the word sanctuary is it is a consecrated thing or place. The Hebrew definition of this is a consecrated thing or place it means the hallowed part. It is a sacred or holy place. And so how many of you believe that we are this consecrated, holy and sacred place unto our God? Amen. Amen. So we are this hallowed part and we are the sanctuary. And so I'm pray in Jesus name, if you guys will agree with me that this, this podcast that we are starting will be a place that builds God's sanctuary, builds God's temple and kingdom on the earth. And uh, we're just obeying him and seeing what he's doing. Amen. All right. You guys, like, is there a weight in here? Is it just me? Was worship extra weighty or am I just feeling it today? We'll see what happens. I don't, I can't do this. I try. I'm sorry. Yeah. All right. Praise God. You guys in Job? All right. So before we start reading in in chapter 38, Josh Snyder my man right here. Can we bless God for Josh and Jamie? I don't need to know them. Oh, thank you. Um, he sent me this, this uh, word, this prophetic word, this kind of write-up that he wrote, which was amazing. And um, I want him to come and share it, so I'm not going to share too much. But I, sh- I took one statement of it, and I thought it was, it was profound. And he was, he was kind of prophetically declaring in this writing, and he took one, uh, he said a couple of sentences. He said, many who are new believers, and he, he was saying, we're, we're entering this season, many who are new believers were, will experience accelerated growth and revelation. I've, I've seen this in this season, not just new believers, but young believers. Maybe they've maybe saved their whole life, but young people specifically too. The truth and revelation that previous generations labored over for decades, man, I feel it, will be received and understood very quickly. 
the truth and revelation that previous generations labored over for decades will be received and understood very quickly. And I believe that is exactly what God is doing. And I've noticed that ever since we, we launched Risen Nation, really, of the pace uh, that God is moving at. And so I wanna encourage you guys that we can never get stagnant in God. Sometimes lately I've been feeling like God is this, the Holy Spirit is moving in this like freight train mentality of he's just moving and he's going and you can either run along and grab on and hopefully you don't get run over or get out of the way, <laughs> amen? And so we need to run along and uh, be invested in what God is doing and, uh, and don't get complacent and stuck in the last thing, amen? Let's move on in the things of God from glory to glory and from faith to faith, amen? So God is not so much interested, if you wanna just write this statement down, it'll make more sense as we go on, but God is not so much interested in what we are doing as much as who we are becoming. God is not as much interested in what we are doing as much as whom we are becoming. And so in this season, I believe God is calling a people that are becoming more and more like him. And this is the, the, uh, the purpose of this house, the mission of this house, the apostolic drive of this house that Pastor William has put in his place is, is a house that ministers to God, amen? the sons of Zadok and Ezekiel 44 that minister to the heart of God. But you realize what the result of that is. Ministering unto God must become becoming one with him. You can't just minister to him and minister to him and minister to him. It is inevitable you will become like him. What you worship, you become. So yes, our declaration in our heart will always be to minister to the Lord, but that will always be unto something. That will always be unto the growth of becoming one with him, becoming one with him. And so we're gonna see these kind of um, levels of, of priesthood, but the Lord um, weeks ago put this, this teaching on my heart for tonight. And I, I think it's gonna turn into, I don't know if we'll continue next week we're, or the two weeks from now, because we're doing a panel, but maybe in, in the following weeks, We'll kind of turn this into a, like a series teaching, but tonight is called the Order of Melchizedek. And um, <clears throat> there's been a lot of confusion and uh, misinterpretation on this particular subject. And so I feel like a lot of us, including myself throughout the years, have just thought this is a mythical man, creature thing, whatever he was, is, and we just kind of move past it but there's an amazing truth in the order of Melchizedek. I think, uh, or I know the writers of Hebrews and, and Psalms wouldn't have said that he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek if it wasn't important, speaking of Jesus, right? And so how many of you wanna grow in God? We're gonna grow in God tonight. We're gonna learn more about him. And, and uh, we might not get very far because there's a lot to kind of unpack, but like I said, we'll get to it in the, in the coming weeks, but if I just wanna lay a foundation and kind of whet your appetite, and then please, we're working on getting a, screen, a bigger screen, and so um, as the Lord provides, we will do that, but I, want, I, I would love to have all the verses up, but we can't put them up 
except for one line at a time on that little screen. So write down the verses as we go, amen? And make them your own study. If, if you can't flip fast enough, just write it down and go study on your own time. All right, Job chapter 38. We're gonna start reading in verse one. And this is one of my uh, favorite books of the Bible. Every time I read anything in Job, I get another, the Lord reveals something else that I hadn't seen before. Um, but in chapter 38, in verse one, I love how, if you read the, the previous chapters, it's basically Job's friends um, telling him what they think is wrong with him and what he did wrong. And it's basically the condemnation and the religion of those people that he had around him. And so you, if you read chapters like 35 to 38, and even before that, you'll see that they, they're kind of just basically telling him what they think he did wrong or what they think he could do better or why the Lord did all these things to him. But I love this in, 30, in 38 verse one, how it says, the Lord answered Job. Because if you read the chapters before, like if you read 37, it was Elihu who was talking, it wasn't Job. So God just ignores the friends and he looks at Job, he answers Job. He just ignores all these, these people who are, uh, we're not live stream, talking out of their butts and don't know what they're talking about and, and giving their opinions. And he, and he answers Job out of the whirlwind. And in verse two, he says, who is this who darkens counsel by words of knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man and I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Now go to chapter 40, and we're gonna read again in verse one. Moreover, the Lord answered Job again. So if you read 38 to 40, God hasn't stopped talking. <laughs> so that's why it says, moreover, he answered Job again. And he says to Job again, shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. Then Job said, which is a good answer before Almighty God, behold, I am vile, what shall I answer you? So Job's kind of shaking in his boots. I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. I spoke once or twice, but trust me, God, I'm not gonna speak again. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind again. And he says the same thing to him that he said in chapter 38. He says, now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you, that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God or can you thunder with a voice like his? Then adorn yourself with majesty and splendor and array yourself with glory and beauty. Underline those words, with glory and beauty. And go back to verse seven and underline the words, prepare yourself like a man. And some translations say, stand up like a man. And it's sort of correct, but the actual meaning of this, prepare your, that word prepare is to gird yourself. The King James says, it says, gird yourself as in put on armor. It's prepare yourself for a war is what that means. Prepare yourself 
like a man, and that word man is a valiant man. That word man is like a warrior. It's an overcoming man. And I'm gonna use male terminology a lot tonight, like man and king, and it's for everybody, okay? Just laying that, it's men and women, all right? Um, <clears throat> and so he says, gird yourself like a man. So he's not just saying, stand up like a man, like you're acting like a girl. He says, stand up like a man. But he's not, he's not saying in that context, he's saying, prepare yourself for war like a king. Prepare yourself for war like this valiant warrior. Prepare yourself for war like the fighter that you are. And then in, in verse 10, he says, and array yourself with glory and beauty. You guys following me? So Exodus 28, just write it down, verses one and two. Moses, getting direction from the Lord, says, now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him, and from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, and you shall make holy garments for, your, for Aaron. Let me stop before I go on. As I was reading this today, reading about Aaron's sons, um, how many of you know that God knows all things? That God is immutable, that God is sovereign, that God is unchanging. And so, but I love here how these are the sons, well, two of them at least, are the ones that offered strange fire, profane fire, fire to the Lord. How many of you remember that? But God still calls them because they're Aaron's family, because they're Aaron's children. And I felt when I was studying to this, this hit me today and the spirit of God impressed on my heart that in the coming seasons, that what God is gonna do with families is not like what he's done in the past. That God is not raising up individuals, God is raising up families. God always works in families. God's heart is for families. He never calls one man, he always calls families. And so I wanna encourage you guys that God, if I believe that there are those, there are established wise men and women in this room that have followed God for a long time, I'm here to tell you that God is calling your children. Wherever your children are, God is calling them. Whatever they're doing, God has called them and he has a plan for them. And don't be afraid and don't be discouraged if it doesn't look like your journey. Don't be discouraged if it doesn't look how you think it should look, but God is, has a hold of your children. If you are committed to the Lord and you have dedicated your life and given your children to the Lord, God's gonna get them. Even if they're, we don't see the manifestation of it now, God's gonna get your children because God works in families. Amen? Amen. All right. So verse two of Exodus chapter 28, it says, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. So we see this, that garments for glory and beauty always referred to priests as to their garments and how they were supposed to be arrayed. So we can take from that, that Job chapter seven, or chapter 40, verse seven, when he says, prepare yourself like a man, he's saying, prepare yourself like a king. But then in verse 10, he says, array yourself like a priest. Are you guys with me? You guys wanna learn tonight? All right. Are you quiet because you're listening? Or are you sleeping? All right, no sleeping allowed. So prepare yourself like a king 
and then adorn yourself with majesty and splendor and array yourself with glory and with beauty. It's safe to say that Job being the oldest book in the Bible, Job could have been the first king priest that we see in scripture. And so this is what we are called to as sons of God, to be kings and priests, not just kings and not just priests. And we focus a lot on the priests in, in the body of Christ and, and uh, especially in the church world. And we put a lot of emphasis on the priests, like the priests is, is the pinnacle, like ministry is the pinnacle. And if we're serving, if we're entrepreneurs, if we're starting businesses, if we are transferring the wealth of the wicked, literally in our businesses and in our jobs, if we are spreading the kingdom of God into our workplace, that has seemed that as less. And I wanna break that tonight. I said, I wanna break it tonight. That God has called us to be kings and priests. Um, on my life, I have an entrepreneur spirit and I have no idea how the Lord is gonna do or it or what he's gonna do, but, but I feel like I have been called to do both. And I know that there are others within the sound of my voice that feel the same way. And so God is, is emphasizing also the king, but there's a difference between king and priest. And that's why throughout the Old Testament, we see that a lot of times they didn't get along because their office is very different. But in Christ, we are both. I said, in Christ, we are both. In Christ, we have the power, we have been empowered as kings and priests, male and female. All right, turn to 1 Peter chapter two. And like I said, this will kind of lead us into the weeks to come but I, I'm so excited for uh, these Bible studies. And um, I know that the Holy Spirit reveals himself to those that are diligent and those that are hungry. And is there anyone that's hungry tonight? Yeah. All right, First Peter, oh, I'm in the wrong book. First Peter chapter two, let's start reading in verse four coming to him as, as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we are a spiritual house and a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices, that's our life acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture that behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. We studied this chapter when we were uh, learning about offenses. Verse seven, therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient at the word to which they were appointed. Verse nine, but you are a chosen generation. I know we've read it before, but I'm gonna ask you guys as we read some of these to, to read it like you've never read it before. Let God speak to you in a new way, amen? Let God reveal, let the Holy Spirit 
Touch your heart with these words in a new way that we may see a different facet, a different side of God tonight. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A royal priesthood is... uh, that's something that didn't exist in the Old Testament. So we skim through it because we've read it a lot, but a royal priesthood is like a paradox. It doesn't make any sense because you're either royalty, you're either a king as far as Old Testament, Old Covenant goes, or you're a priest. They never mixed. And so we see that a little bit uh, as David, as a type of Jesus in the Old Testament. But as far as someone, there was only one person mentioned in the Old Testament that was both that we'll get to. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, his own special people. The Diaglot translation says a people for a purpose, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The Passion translation, hear this, of verse nine says, but you are God's chosen treasure. Priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light, and now he claims you as his very own. He did this so you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. It's so good. Somebody say amen. I'm going to read that again. But you are God's chosen treasure, priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light. And now he claims you as his very own. He did this so you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. So write this down. Kings and priests signify heaven and earth coming together in a people. They signify heaven and earth coming together. It's the heavenly power of the priest, but the earthly authority of the king. It's the heavenly power of the priest, but the earthly authority of a king. As priests, we minister to the Lord. As kings, we rule the earth. As priests, we hear from the Lord and speak it into the earth. As kings, we carry out the commandments by which we've been given. Do I need to repeat any of those? (laughs) All of them. Kings and priests signify heaven and earth coming together in a people. It's the heavenly power of the priest but the earthly authority of the king. That's why God was son of God and son of man. He came as 100% man and 100% God. As priests, we minister to the Lord, but as kings, we rule the earth. This is how we have to start thinking. I know this is like, in today's culture, this is like, I might as well be speaking Chinese but God is after a kingdom of kings and priests that will rule and reign with him, Revelation says, on earth. So this is what we are coming to. So you can either get aboard this train or you can get run over, but this is what we are coming to, amen? amen. And so this is the man, the one man, the unified body of Christ that we are coming to. This is the man, and I don't wanna get ahead of myself, but this is the man of his image that 
um, he is assembling his body to rest his head on that we together are able to hold up. And, and Ephesians says that we are built up together, growing up, Colossians chapter two says that we are built up into the head, which is Christ, amen? So as priests, we hear from the Lord and speak it into the earth. As kings, we carry out the commandments by which we've been given. So Luke 2, 52, and Jesus increased, it says, and Jesus increased after he um, mesmerized the scholars at 12 years old. He, it says he increased with wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That's what it means to be a king and a priest is to have favor with God and man. It's touching heaven and touching earth. And I love how it says he increased in wisdom and stature because God is building us up into the fullness, the full stature, we're gonna hear later, of Christ. <clears throat> First Corinthians 15, 49 says, as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we, the word shall is not there, we also bear the image of the heavenly. So I'm gonna read it without all the words that King James added. As we have borne the image of the dust, we also bear the image of the heavenly. 1 Corinthians 15, 49, just read it later. Read the whole chapter later. But as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we also bear the image of the heavenly, the kings and priests, favor with God and man, touching earth, earth and heaven all at the same time. And so this is what we are coming to. Acts chapter three, just follow along. Verse, verses 19 to 21 says, repent therefore and be converted. This is Peter taught preaching that your sins may be blotted out so that the times of refreshing, we've, we've studied this. How many of you remember we studied this in the past? No one remembers, one person. All right. <laughs> times of refreshing or revival may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive, say receive, whom heaven must receive, that means heaven is holding him. That means heaven must hold up. Heaven must restrain. That, that's what it, it doesn't mean receive as in coming. It means that, that word is to hold up. That heaven must receive until the times of the restoration of all things. And so what is the time of the restoration of all things? Because we want heaven to release Jesus, right? Amen? It wasn't a trick question, yes. We do want that. All right. Which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So verse 21, whom heaven must hold up until the time of the restoration of all things. This word restoration in the Greek, it is the word apokastasis. Say it, spell it, however you want. I don't know. It's a long Greek word. And it's the, it's the only time this word is used in scripture. And it means reconstitution or a restoration of true theocracy. Are you guys following along? A theocracy is a kingdom in which priests rule. Are you guys following along? A theocracy is a kingdom, Theo is God. It's a kingdom that's ruled by priests. It's not ruled by kings, it's ruled by a religious order. So if you take it in 
in, in today, Iraq, Iran, those Muslim countries are theocracies. They're ruled by the religious leaders. They're not ruled by, they don't vote in and vote out presidents. They're led by religious people. And so that's what a theocracy is. So what it's saying is heaven is going to hold up Jesus until this time of restoration of true theocracy is restored on the earth. This time where the authority and the power of God through his sons and daughters, through the kings and priests walk in their authority on the earth. It's Romans 8, what all creation is longing, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. And so we are, we are beseeching the coming of the Lord Jesus and we are asking him to come and we are preaching that he's coming any moment now, but he will not come until this is fulfilled, until his body is assembled and ruling and reigning on the earth, until his body functions in the position and the authority that we are intended to walk in on this earth. And it and like we read in Second Peter, to those who believe, he is precious. To those who believe, the exceeding greatness of his power, Ephesians 2 says, to those who believe. And so it's going to take a people that truly believe. Someone say believe. Do you believe it? I said, do you believe it? And so he's after the restoration. King James says the restitution of all things the reconstitution, the, the going back, the restoration, this re-prefix, it, it, it describes that it's going back to the original, the way it was of this true theocracy where we aren't, where we aren't led, we may have an American president, but the true authority on the earth is the sons of God. And until we walk in this place, heaven's gonna hold Jesus. Until we assemble his body, the Holy Spirit, John 15 and 16, it says, it's expedient for you that I go. That word expedient is, it, it means to assemble together. That I, Jesus is saying, I need to leave so the Holy Spirit can come assemble you so I can come back. So I have somewhere to lay my head, an authority. I have some body that I could put my authority on. I have this one man, this man of my image, this body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, many membered body called Christ that I am gonna come back to restore my head on put my authority on. Is this too deep for anybody? And so we are coming to this theocracy in the earth. So I want to encourage you guys, don't get, don't get swayed by the news and by the hell we are seeing because the, the word says the darkness will just continue to get darker, but there's sons of God and daughters of God and kings and priests on the earth that are rising up with indignation, this holy indignation, this holy fire of it's been long enough and we are gonna walk in our true authority. And I'm not saying we're gonna strap up AK-47s and fly a jet. It's a spiritual authority because our kingdom is ruled, this earth is ruled by kingdoms of spirit. We're not ruled by flesh and blood. We're not fighting flesh and blood. We're fighting principalities and powers and spirits. And so we need to get our spirit right. And the American church is stuck in this pacifier mentality of just pacify me till I die. Pacify me and tell me I'm going to heaven. 
And pastors are treated like drug dealers. We come into church to get our fix and we don't wanna grow in God and walk in our natural God-given authority that we've been given in. And it requires a believing. That's why Jesus, all through his ministry, the word he used over and over and over again is believe. Almost every parable, believe, 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 because it's really hard to believe it. That's why he's encouraging you to believe. It's so big. It's so vast. It's so amazing. God's plan from the ages, God's plan from the beginning for his bride, for his church. It's so incredible. It's hard to believe. That's why he said, believe to those who believe. If, you, if it was easy, he wouldn't be saying it over and over and over again. Revelation to those who overcome. And so believing is a prerequisite to overcoming. You can't overcome anything until you believe who you are. And, and we look at, we get so caught up in our, like I said from the beginning, and what, what's going on, what we're doing, what's going on in our world. Am I doing all the things? Am I spending enough time in the word? Am I praying enough? Am I checking all the boxes that I am growing in Christ? And I'm not saying any of that is bad, but God is much more after what do we believe about ourselves? He's much more after of, do you believe really what I, my word says about you? Do you believe what I have put in here? Do you believe that you could walk as kings and priests on the earth? Do you believe the power and the authority by which I put in your mouth? Do you believe that you can hear me speak to you clearly and understand it? Do you believe that you can interpret dreams? Do you believe that you can lay your hands on the sick and they will be healed? We focus way too much on results. And in the kingdom, results are indicative, are not indicative of if God's there or not. He's sovereign. I said he's sovereign. I prayed for a lot of people that haven't got healed, but I'm not gonna stop praying. I've lost in a lot of situations, but I'm not gonna stop fighting. Are you guys with me? So we see, <clears throat> we're, gonna, we're gonna move on. We'll come back to that. We see these delineations of priesthoods and scriptures, if you wanna write in, in the scripture, if you wanna write this down. So we see, and, and this is uh, just a quick, we can maybe break this down in the coming weeks, but you see the, the Levites were called to, to tend to the temple of God and the tabernacle through scripture. So we see this, this Levitical priesthood come on the scene. And then if you, if you graduate or if you uh, take out a set apart kind of remnant from that, you will see Ezekiel 44, the sons of Zadok came out of that Levitical priesthood. And this is a higher dimension of living, right? Are you guys with me? I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach you guys like pastors and leaders because there's a lot of leaders in this room and potential leaders. And so... We see a Levitical priesthood. We see these, these called out family called the sons of Zadok that minister to the Lord. And this is a higher dimension of priesthood, but it's not the highest. Melchizedek priesthood is the third delineation or dimension. It's the final dimension of this priesthood that we see in scripture. Y'all with me? So we see the Levites and among those Levites from the tribe of Levi, we see Aaron, who's also called out and set as a high priest. Uh, and then we even graduate further into a, another level, another dimension of priesthood in scripture called the Melchizedek priesthood. So turn to, to, uh, with me to chapter five of Hebrews. 
You guys want me to repeat that? Anything? Good. And I'm hoping we can, I don't think we're going to have time tonight, but in the coming weeks, we can maybe set aside 20 or 30 minutes at the end and do, do some questions. Uh, I'm not, I'm not interested in adding content on the web. Just so you know, for these, these Bible studies, I'm not interested in adding a podcast so I can get my name out there or I can get Risen Nation's name out there. I'm not interested in any of that. I want to grow. So I don't care how it translates to there. We, we can stop and ask questions, not tonight, but in the future, we can stop and ask questions and I want to grow together in him. Amen? All right. Hebrews chapter five and verse one. It says, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. So he's saying every priest he's taking, he takes from men for men because they can relate, they can empathize with weakness. Verse three, because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. And so I said this a couple weeks ago on Sunday, but men don't call men. I can't give you a position in God. God calls you. God chooses you. God appoints you. God promotes you. God elects you. Amen? And so man can't choose you, elect you, and we, we've, we've done a huge disservice to this in the church. And I heard this, um, well, I won't go down that road, but uh, we've done a huge disservice by uh, choosing people based on giftings. We choose people based on, because they're charismatic, and we don't, we don't allow God to choose them. And so God is the one who elects you. God is the one who promotes you. Man doesn't promote you. Amen? All right. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest. So even Jesus didn't glorify himself, but it was he who said to him, you are my begotten son. So God identifies him. Today I have begotten you. What I love about that is when Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist, and I've said this before, but when Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan, he's, this is a first public declaration where, you, where God says from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Up until that point, up until he was 30 years old, Jesus had to believe what the word said about him. Jesus had to study about himself in scripture. Even when he was 12 years old, we use that example like he, he went and mesmerized the scholars and he did. But if you read it carefully, he said he also asked them questions and listened to their answers. And so even Jesus had to learn about himself and believe what the word told him what the word said about him and say, this is about me. God didn't come to him and say, you are my beloved son till he was 30. So up until that point, he had to believe. So we have to believe what the word says about us. Verse six, as he also says in another place, you are a priest forever. Can we say this together? According to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, 
Speaking of Jesus, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to, those, to all those who obey him, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and, it, and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. All right, so we see here that Jesus was a priest forever. It says that he is a priest forever after or according to the order of Melchizedek. Are, you, are we all together? So that word order, if you wanna write the definition down, it means an arrangement in time. It means a fixed succession or due order, right order. So it's an arrangement in time, a fixed succession, do or right order. So he is saying that after this succession of Melchizedek, so the way, and we're gonna, we're gonna read more about him in a minute, but the way Melchizedek was called, the way Melchizedek was chosen, the way he had no beginning and no ending we're gonna read about is the same way that Jesus was called it's the same succession. It's not from the line of Levi. It's not from, he wasn't from the line of Aaron. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. And so this is a divine calling after this order, which is the order that we are after. If we are in Christ, we are of the order of Melchizedek. We are not of the line of Aaron. We are not of the Levitical priesthood. We are not of an Adamic priesthood, Mosaic, whatever you wanna call it. We are not going back to our original life in Adam. Christ now is our beginning. We have been begotten by the word. We have been begotten by Christ. And so we have been birthed anew, born again, John 3, into this life of Melchizedek, after the order of Melchizedek, into this life of Christ. And it is, we are divinely chosen and not from a lineage of man. Are you guys with me? And so it's not, um, I have to say a lot sometimes when I'm, I'm preaching even to um, younger people or if I'm traveling and, and ministering that uh, your past is not you anymore. Your past is not, it has nothing to do with you. If you are a Christian, you have the memory of it, but it has no authority. It has no power. It has nothing to do with you anymore. So sometimes we use language and we say things and we give ourselves uh, excuses and crutches based on our past. But my past is not what I was before Christ. My past is Christ. He is the one who was and is and is to come. If I've been born again, I don't have any other past. I'm dead to that life. I've been born, 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 born again. A brand, like a baby is born into a, a, a family. They have no past. They have no memory. They have no history. And so we as human beings, we are uh, plagued with memories. So we remember where we've been, but God leaves us with that memory. So it creates a heart of thankfulness and a heart of worship and a heart of, wow, God, you've brought me through time and time again. You've been merciful time and time again. That's why we've been, that's the only reason why we have a memory to bring a thankful heart to God about we can remember in the way he said to Moses, remember the way in which I brought you. But besides that, it's for no good, it's not, not for any other reason because we don't live from that place. So we are not 
the order of Melchizedek is this, that you are called from eternity. The order of Melchizedek is this, that you are called from the power, we're gonna see in chapter seven of Hebrews, of an endless life. You are not a Levite. You are not, and we, we use the term Levites like for our worship team and for our pastors, and that's fine. But, but we are after the order of Melchizedek. <clears throat> so go to chapter seven, verse one. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, so Melchizedek means my king of righteousness, King of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. I love that. Just thrown in there. Like Melchizedek with this guy who just went and messed up a bunch of kings and he's returning in triumph. He just killed all these other kingdoms. And this is Abraham. And he comes to Abraham to whom also Abraham gave a 10th part of all being translated king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, say king of peace. We're gonna see that in a minute. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days. Listen to this. This is the order that in Christ Jesus we are after. This is the priesthood in Christ Jesus that we fall into. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the son of God remains and he remains a priest continually. This is a mystery, guys, and I've been waiting so long. So I pray that you pull on this, okay? I've been waiting to share this. But like the son of God, he remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man, and so in, your, in my translations, your might, might be the same way. The word was is italic, italicized. So that means that they added it. So now consider how this how great this man, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of his spoils. So Melchizedek wasn't just an historical, mythical, mysterious man that no one knows who is this person. And yes, he is a type of Jesus, but there's more to it. Someone say there's more. And so it says, Underline the words that he remains a priest continually. And so nowhere in scripture we see that this man's priesthood ended. It says that he has, in, in chapter, or verse 16 of chapter seven, he has the power of an endless life. He says he has no beginning of days nor end of life and made like unto the son of God. So if all those things are true, then the priesthood of Melchizedek, this Melchizedek priesthood is still alive. Now consider how great this man was, isn't there. The, the translators wanted to make it past tense, but it says the writers were writing in present tense. How great is this man to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a 10th of his spoils. I'll jump down to verse 11. Well, before we go to verse 11, the word uh, peace, we, we learned about it a couple weeks ago. Pastor William taught on it. It was phenomenal. But he was king of peace, and Salem is Jerusalem, king of Jerusalem or king of peace. 
And it means to set at one again. I always look at Josh because we talk about this all the time. Peace is to set at one again. And there's other meanings, but that's just the one I want to focus on tonight. So he is the peace. He's the king of setting at one again. He's the king of the priesthood of this body that is assembled together, that God is assembling and setting together. He is the king of peace, this Melchizedek. So peace is not, we learned a few weeks ago, that peace is not the absence of chaos or trouble, but it is the assembling and setting at one again of his body. It is the manifestation of the oneness of God, and it is, the, it is the manifestation of the original man, singular man of his image. I'll prove it to you, because you're quiet. Are you listening? Hebrews 2, 14 to 16 says, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments and ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, making peace. What did I say? Sorry, Ephesians 2, 14 to 16. Now I have to read all over again. Said the wrong thing. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. That's, the hus- that's not enemy, that's hostility, opposition. That is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two making peace. So peace is creating what was separated. Peace is bringing it back together. Are you with me? and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity, the hostility, or the opposition. So what's the enmity? Enmity. I don't know if I'm saying that right. What's the hostility according to this, according to Ephesians, the law of commandments and ordinances? It says it right here having abolished in his flesh the enmity. So it's not the enemy because God fulfilled the law, right? Jesus came and fulfilled the law. So, and he used the law, he just fulfilled it. So it's not the enemy, it's, it's opposing. It's the opposition, it's hostile, but it's saying that is the en- enmity of this oneness is the ordinances, the commandments of law. You guys with me? Just follow along. This is the enmity. This is what he put to death on the cross is this separation of us and God. This is what he put to death on the cross, making peace, tearing the veil. This is the the enmity. This is the opposition and the hostility that he ended. And we function in religion like it's still there and he ended it. There is no separation between us and Jesus. There, we are one. He has tore the veil. I said he has tore the veil. And so this opposition, this hostility of law, of commandments, of do's and don'ts, of if you do this, you will live, and if you don't do this, you will die. 
It says, of these two, he made one new making peace. And so when he makes peace, he makes one. And so we become fulfilled in Christ Jesus. He fulfills the law and now he becomes the law, so to speak. And now we live in that place of a freedom in him from do's and don'ts, and we get lost in the life of who he is. This is what peace is. We get lost or we get freed from the prison of religion, and by his oneness, we get, we get set free by the love and by his peace, by his life. When you become baptized in the life of Jesus, the word says, you don't need the do's and don'ts because you, now we have the mind of Christ. First Corinthians two tells us we have the mind of Christ, not we are going to get, not we are going to attain one day, but we have the mind of Christ. And so why do I need a law if I have the mind of Christ? The only thing law does is it separates God and me in my mind. The only thing the commandments and ordinance do is make two. And he said, of two, I've made one new man. So we're going to talk about this one new man. <clears throat> Ephesians 4, 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the faith of the, I'm sorry, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians 4, 3. So peace is what keeps God's body together. It is the bond. It is the glue. Peace is the assembling. Peace is the oneness. Are we, are we all together? So we're going to continue reading in Hebrews 7 and verse 11. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest or that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated the altar. So this priesthood of Melchizedek, no man has officiated this altar. It's a whole different, it's a whole different law. It's a whole different tribe. It's a whole different priesthood. It's a whole different glory. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. So after the order of Melchizedek is, is where Jesus was called. And, and, and the writers of Hebrew here are saying that Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. That's not a, that's not a priestly tribe. That was Levi, of which Moses spoke nothing. I mean, there was nothing about Ju the tribe of Judah working uh, as a priesthood in the Old Testament. And it is yet far more evident that in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest. Little p, I find that interesting. Who has come not according to the law of fleshly commandment, but according to the power. Someone say the power, the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made Nothing perfect, on the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Somebody say amen. amen. <clears throat> oh, I'm gonna keep reading, sorry. Verse 20, inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. He will not relent. 
until this becomes manifest. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, speaking of Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. So powerful. So what is this priesthood? So I've said it before that your lineage is not Levitical. It's not Adamic. Your, your lineage is not where you've been. But in Christ, our lineage and our history, our past, we become born from eternity. So in Christ, we have the power of an endless life. And that has nothing, well, I guess it has something to do with dying and going to heaven, but that is not what it's about. The power of an endless life is something to be lived is something to be assured in. It's something to stand in now. This is a now thing. This is not one day when we die, we're gonna enter into eternity. We are in eternity now. You know, in Revelation, when he says the one who is, I was thinking about this, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. It doesn't mean that he, he was in the past, now he's in the present, he'll be in the future like he doesn't have any time. So to God, Abraham, Moses, Melchizedek are not in the past. He is then, he is now, and he is will be. It's mind-boggling. It's insane. And so he is unchanging. The only ones who change are us but he is unchanging. And so we have the power of this endless life now. We have the power of eternity living in our hearts through Christ Jesus now. So this is a power to walk in. So if God is outside of time, then our faith and our belief and how we pursue, how we walk, how we live our daily lives should be outside of time. I'm not saying don't wake up to your alarm clock. What? Please go to work and be responsible. I'm not saying that. But what, I'm, what, I, what I am saying is that uh, sometimes we are trying to get away from our past and running to our future. We're trying to get away from the tough times and run into this, whatever we are waiting for to go away or to appear to where we can be in, in a great times. Do you guys know what I'm saying? But God is always now. He's always moving. And the power of an endless life is the perspective of eternity that we have all the time. It's the perspective of the eternal, timeless God that we have all the time. So just like Aaron was chosen divinely by God as high priest out of the, the Levites, not from lineage, and Jesus was chosen divinely by God out of the tribe of Judah, not by lineage from Judah. We have been divinely chosen by God according to the order of Melchizedek. Amen? So who is Melchizedek? Turn to Ephesians chapter four. And I'm almost done. We are gonna, um, I'm gonna purposely stop at a certain point because we're gonna have to take some, some time on this. But are you, guys, are you guys tracking with me tonight? Yeah. 
Ephesians 4, we're gonna start reading in verse nine. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean, but that he also first, did I say the wrong thing again? Ephesians 4, verse nine, okay. <clears throat> but he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself, someone say himself, he himself, himself, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. Can I say something that might be offensive? And please, if you think I'm talking about me, please uh, just don't think that. Um, I'm not talking about myself, I guarantee you. Uh, but sometimes we, and I've been guilty of it, Sometimes as the body of Christ, I've noticed that we can treat apostles and prophets, evangelists, we can treat those that are over us in the Lord, leaders in our life, like we put them there and God didn't give them to us. And I felt convicted of the Holy Spirit right now to say that. So maybe it's working on some hearts, but we always need to honor those in our life. Elders, leaders, those are that God has appointed to lead us into Christ. Like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And it has nothing to do with the pastor. It has to do with the one that's in the pastor. It has nothing to do with the evangelist. It has to do with the one that's in the evangelist. It has nothing to do with the apostle or whatever the person. It has to do with, with Christ in that person. And so we, can, we always must receive those that God has sent because he gave them to us. He gave them to the body. It says he himself gave so we don't hire them. We don't appoint pastors and teachers because they are charismatic. We don't appoint them because they can bring crowds. We don't appoint them because we like them. And as soon as we don't like them or we disagree with a teaching, we go to a different church because that is saying that, God, you gave me the wrong one. Or God, what you gave me is not good enough because God gives them. All right. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. I feel like we could you know, quote this from memory now, but I want you to see one thing. Till we all come, say we all, to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So when there is a unification of faith, there is also a knowledge of the Son of God. Not a knowledge about the Son of God, but it's a knowledge of the Son of God that we begin to carry his mind. When we, be, when we are assembled, we, when we are assembled as his body and we are holding up the head, that means that our interaction together becomes um, in a way through his mind, through his knowledge. Because if you think as a physical body, physical body can't move, can't do anything unless the mind, the brain, our brain sends the signal to whatever joints or muscles, whatever things that the body needs to do, the body is completely uh, useless and cannot function without the brain, right? In a physical sense, the same thing in Christ is the more that we are attached, the more that we are assembled, the more that our faith is unified, the more that we are saying to the head, have free will. The more that we try to do things by our own way, we are restricting the flow of the power from the mind of Christ to the body. The more that we are restricting the flow from our head, Jesus, to the body. And so our oneness opens the flow of God's power in our life. Our oneness opens the flow of God's dominion in our life. Are you all with me? 
Our oneness opens the flow of God's sovereignty and God's working in our life. And so as we assemble, you'll start to see that things are uh, aligning in your life as we start assembling God's body. Hosea says, or Haggai says that you, remember he was talking to the, to the children of Israel and he says, you've taken care of your own houses, but you've deserted the house of God. As soon as we put the house of God first again, as soon as we put his body and his temple first again, we will begin to see things in our individual life uh, come into order, amen? So this unity of the faith it's unto the knowledge of the Son of God. So we unify in the faith, then we get his mind, we get his knowledge, and then this is unto a perfect man, one man. So in the kingdom, there are not men and women. In the kingdom, there is one man, and you're either in him or out of him. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, this is the Melchizedek priesthood. Just write it down. Verse 14, why? That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine because we have a, we have a plan now. We have a purpose now, right? Because we have his knowledge and his thoughts. We have the mind of Christ and we are pushing onto a perfect man, which is the measure of the stature, the measure of the stature, the standing, the, the height, the power, the size of the fullness of Christ. Are you guys hearing the words that I'm saying? This is a powerful thing. This is, not to be, this is not to be taken haphazardly. This is the fullness of Christ in bodily form. One perfect man, the order of Melchizedek. So Melchizedek is not just, um, this is gonna hurt some religion, but the Melchizedek is not just a picture of Jesus. The Mel Melchizedek priesthood is a picture of Jesus' head over a body Christ, making one man of two, he made one new man, a head and a body, the order of Melchizedek and kings and priests he uses to assemble this. Is this too deep for you? But speaking the truth in love, well, let me say 14 again, that we, so this is what it's, this is why, that we should be no longer children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him. So this is what it is. We grow up in all things and we're growing up into him, into our head, which is Christ. So we're not growing in our individual ministries. We don't study so we can preach, so we can get the podcast views and the YouTube views and we can get more buildings and expand the campuses. We get, we study, we worship, we, we strive to know him more. The word says to labor in the word. It says those that labor in the word are worthy of double honor. He says the works of the ministry. It, so it's, it's a laboring, it's a working sometimes, but it's building us up into Christ, our head. But I can't go into Christ. I can't be built up as a body by myself. I can't be a bride by myself. I can't be a king and priest by myself. I can't be Melchizedek by myself. I can't walk around saying I'm Melchizedek because Melchizedek is a body. Melchizedek is the power of the, the, this, this priesthood, 
It's the power of this unending priesthood, no beginning, no end of which Christ is head. And this priesthood is still alive and functioning today. It never ends. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ Jesus, from whom the whole body joined and knit together from what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying itself in love. Someone say in love. This is how we are built. This is how we are edified. This is how we grow. It's love. Love is the glue. First John says that his love has perfected us. That is completed us, assembled us. His love has completed us. So the love is what causes us to grow. So the Melchizedek priesthood is made up of many kings and priests, but together we are one man, Jesus Christ, our head and great high priest. So the world started with one man. God sent his son as a man, and there is still another man that's gonna rule and reign with Jesus on the earth. And he is one body. Hosea 1, 11, then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together. This is Hosea 1, 11. They shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head. So what is the likeness of Melchizedek, like Hebrews 17, 16, or Hebrews 7, 16 says, it says the likeness of Melchizedek, so that is the fullness of Christ bodily. It is the fullness of the stature of Christ. And it's Jesus reconciling all things to himself. How many of you remember in Colossians 1 when he says, for it pleased the father in verse 17 that in him all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace, there it is again, through the blood of the cross and you, verse 21, who were once alienated and enemies in your own mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled, someone say reconciled, in the body of his flesh. Reconciled means to make the same. When you, if in an accounting term, you're reconciling bank accounts, you are making them the same. He has reconciled in the body of his flesh. He has made the same in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach. That means unaccusable in his sight. It's really good news. You guys ought to be happy. You look a little bit depressed. Ephesians, so in the Melchizedek priesthood is that a manifestation, that encounter that we have when we are reconciled back into him. So Ephesians 1, flip back just a page. And you guys got 10 more minutes? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. It's always in him. Someone say in him. In him in him, in him. In him is where we live and move and have our being. Acts says, Colossians 1 says, in him all things consist. 
And so this priesthood is a life lived in him. This priesthood is a life lived outside of self. This priesthood is a life lived by the power and authority of Christ. In him, we don't have, we don't struggle with um, being alienated, like Colossians 1 says, in our minds, because we don't struggle with false humility. In him, there's no false humility. In him, there's, this is what Jesus is, this is what we are. In him, it's, we've been reconciled together in him. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. In him, we are the same. In him, we are his body. Come on. In him, we have his power, his, his glory, his authority, and his dominion. In him, we are kings and priests. In him, we are kings and priests forever after the order of Melchizedek. It's all in him. So if we can function from the mindset of in him, it takes me out of the picture, and that's why I can boldly get up here and say stuff to him, like this crazy stuff to you guys, because I'm, I'm in him. My life is hidden with Christ. I am a new creation. So forget, for me to come up here and say that, that costy is all these things without Christ is heresy. But in Christ, I can boldly approach, Hebrews says, the throne of grace. The veil has been torn. The, the separation has been torn. The flesh has been torn of Jesus that we may enter in to the same life of flesh that the life of Jesus, 1 Corinthians says, may be manifest in our mortal flesh. We think we have to become a spiritual being to attain this, but he wants it to become manifest in our mortal flesh. The order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is a man that is a many-membered body that is alive and well And heaven. Acts chapter three will hold Jesus until this man is revealed and rule and reign on the earth. And then our head will come and be assembled, Jesus, with his body. In him, verse seven, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. His grace is more rich than you could ever think that you could ever imagine. His grace never ends. His grace is like an overflowing ocean. Billows and billows, waves, Psalm says. His grace is overflowing, overwhelming. You can't get your head up fast enough to breathe. You drown in his grace. It's unending, unstoppable. It's fierce. It's glorious. Nothing can stop it or change it. Can I get some help on the keys, Aaron? Verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together Someone say in one, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and are on the earth in him. <laughs> in him is uh, through this whole chapter. In him also, we have an obtained inheritance. In him, all things are being assembled together in Christ, in heaven and earth. It's not just on the earth. He's assembling his body spiritual, because we are not, we are not um, natural beings having a spiritual experience, right? We've heard this. We, we are spirit beings having a flesh experience, having a natural human experience. And so this, has, this is not bound by our flesh. It's not bound by time. 
This priesthood is not bound by time. It's not bound by flesh. It's not bound by space. It's gathering together in one in heaven and on earth in him. The priesthood, Melchizedek, the man of his image, all things gathered together in one. All things, I said it a couple weeks ago, gather together in one is one Greek word, and it just means the summary of all things. So if you want to know the summary of all things, here it is. There's a man coming that looks like Jesus. There is a man coming that talks like Jesus. There is a man coming that is a unified body of believers that believe what the word says about us. And we don't let religion change our language and change our words to make them feel better. But God is assembling this man and his name is Melchizedek. And through this man, he will rule and reign on the earth. Revelation tells us through this man, this overcoming king and a priest, touching heaven and touching earth, the power of an endless life, the rule and the power of heaven and the authority also on the earth. God is assembling it all together. And on this man, he will have his way. He will rule and reign in their hearts. He will become their head. He will become their mind. He will become their thoughts. We are growing into the knowledge of, someone say of, of the son of God. But there is a man that this world needs and I'm looking at him, male, female, white, black, old, young, Gen Z, Gen X, baby boomers, whatever other titles we wanna give the generations. God is assembling this order of Melchizedek that even our savior Jesus was after, that we are grafted into this order and that we are not the line of our fathers. We are not of the line of Moses. We are not of the line of Adam. We have been divinely selected. Change all the rules. God says, you can't be a priest unless you're from Levi. Changes all the rules. The Levites were to take care of the temple, but not necessarily go into the holy place. He takes Aaron from the tribe of Levi and he says, you're my high priest, divine. He says, Jesus is not after this. He's after the order of Melchizedek. He's after the order of this king who slaughters other kings on earth, but he has the power of an endless life. And I'm gonna choose, divinely choose Jesus after this man. This is who we, this is what we are growing up into. And I pray that as we go into the coming weeks, that this, the revelation, I wanna encourage you guys to study this, that the Holy Spirit reveals to us what he's speaking it's all over scripture and it's not haphazard. It's not just there. It's, it, we almost read it poetically because we've heard it so many times and we have the same inflections on the word and we read over stuff. This King of peace will assemble his body. This King of peace will be the body assembled on the earth and he's coming to make peace. And by making peace, he's waging war on every principality. By making peace, he's waging war on every government. By making peace, he's waging war on, on Pride Month. He's waging war on the trans movement. He's waging war on it all. He came from the slaughter of kings. Jesus is waging war and he's waiting for a body that will step up and be kings and priests in the earth. In the Old Testament, you read most of the time 
the priests were subject to the kings. It wasn't the other way around. Jesus kind of flips this, but in the Old Testament, if the king didn't like a priest or if the king didn't like a prophet, he could just execute him. And so we cower and we say, oh, I'm just a, I'm just a priest. I'm just a churchgoer. Just wanna be friendly, wanna love everyone. But the first time we hear about Melchizedek, he's coming from the slaughter of kings. And so God is restoring his theocracy back in the earth. And it's gonna be through this man called Melchizedek. Somebody say amen. Stand to your feet. Revelation chapter five. You don't, you don't have to turn there, just, just listen. Verse eight. Now, when he had taken the scroll, feel the Lord. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. I pray that we leave here today singing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests unto our God. And we, someone say we, we shall reign on earth. That is the summary of all things, the gathering together in one. This is what the heart of God has longed for is a people that believe that they are kings and priests to our God. We're not kings and priests to the church. We're not kings and priests to our job. We're not kings and priests to the world. They might not know who you are. We are kings and priests to our God. And we, we, we shall reign on earth. How do we know the manifestation of this? How do we see this come to fruition? How do we see this become our life? How do we know when, God, when, when the Holy Spirit begins to activate this thing, I wanna see the manifestation. Does anyone wanna see the manifestation? I wanna see the manifestation of this body being assembled. I pray that it includes the nations of the earth. I pray that it includes the Methodists and the Baptists and all the other denominations. I pray it does, but it's not contingent on that. This gathering together in one is not necessarily every nation on the earth because Joel chapter two says the nations rage, but it's this called out selected people. It's this priesthood. It's this Zion within Jerusalem, the overcomers within the city of God. It's this called out selected people. And so, the evidence that you know the manifestation is here is when a body believes. And when a body believes, we will begin to supply the body. Ephesians 4 says, when, a bo when, when we come and believe, really, that we are kings and priests, 
unto our God and we shall rule and reign on the earth, we begin to supply the body because we step into our rightful authority. We step into our rightful inheritance. We step into our rightful power, our God-given authority. That's when we begin to supply. So how do we see the manifestation when we see the supply? Does that make sense? The manifestation of this will be the supply, but God is after the Peters who stand up in Acts 2, after the Holy Spirit comes, sound like a mighty rushing wind, and he, and he quotes Joel 2, and there's just a few of them, and maybe the ones that heard the sound and that heard their language being spoken, and he stands up and he says, this is that prophecy in Joel chapter 2. And it says, your, your sons will prophesy, and all flesh, I'm gonna manifest myself on all flesh. Well, that wasn't all flesh. Can I just read it real quick? Peter gets up and he says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour my spirit on all flesh. So he's saying that this is the pouring out on all flesh, but all flesh is not there. So this Melchizedek priesthood, this gathering of, of this assembling of the body of God is not necessarily all flesh coming together and, and religions and tribes and denominations coming together. It's those standing up like Peter that's saying, this is that. This is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. This is the time. It's the ones that are saying, I am a king and a priest now. It's the ones that are bold enough like Peter to stand up and say, he's living and breathing in me and I have the power and authority that he's given me now. That my life is after the order of Melchizedek, the pattern and the succession of priesthood of Melchizedek, king and priest. That's how you'll know. That's what Zion is. It's those that believe in the midst of the church, there's always an overcomer. Romans 11, if the first fruit is holy, the whole thing is holy. So I'm looking at the first fruits of God, I believe. Amen. And that is the man that God is assembling. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sanctuary Podcast. Please check the episode notes for scripture references and notes from this particular teaching. Thanks again for tuning in.